Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,338. Today we continue our celebration for the 6th annual Philadelphia Concord Elegance. It takes place this weekend, June 24th at the Simeon Foundation Automotive Museum. To learn more and get tickets, go to philadelphiaconcord.com. Be prepared to be inspired because today our guest has an amazing history with Porsche, Porsche Racing, and the iconic Brumos brand. Buckle up. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today, I'm in Saluda, South Carolina, with a very special guest by the name of Jack Atkinson. Jack, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I'm ready to go. All right, we're going to have some fun. Now, before I introduce you, I want to ask you this question. What's one little thing that maybe people don't know about you, Jack? Oh, well, they probably don't realize because it just happened that I just became a great-great-grandfather. You know, I'll tell you, listeners, Jack and I had a nice little chat last night, and he told me that, and I went, what? How, how could that be? So the first question, I guess, begs is how long you've been married, how many kids and grandkids, and then now great, your first great-great-congratulations. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty special. They came by yesterday evening, and I get to help hold baby, and I, I call him Baby D because... He was born on D-Day, so that's a very special day. Of course. And he will always be D to me. <laughs> uh, so he's already got a nickname. That's pretty cool. Exactly. Uh, well, I've been married to Ethel for 60, 65 and a half years now. Wow. Just uh, She's still my main squeeze, so to speak. <laughs> We've got three very grown children who have given us a total of uh, five grandchildren. Wow. And we now have four Five great-grandchildren, I think, My and goodness. one great yeah. That is incredible. What a legacy. I'll tell you, my grandparents were married for 72 years and they were uh, farmers in Texas, uh, tough, hardworking folks. And I believe yep. when they passed, they had, let's see, five kids, 22 grandchildren and 16 great-grandchildren, I think it was, but I'm not sure they ever lived to see great-greats. So, uh, man, that's just absolutely <laughs> incredible. Well, congratulations to Little D. That's uh, that's pretty darn neat. Well, we're going to learn a lot more about you, Jack. Let me give you an introduction because what a life you've lived. Jack Atkinson had an amazing career and a key part of it was with Brumos Porsche. Between the dealership and race team, Jack was with Brumos for 24 years, starting as a service manager for the Brundage Motors Atlanta company back in 1955. He held many roles, but the one that fit him best was when he donned his Greek fisherman's cap, the one he wore as team manager during the glory years of endurance racing in the 1970s. He guided Brumo to seven IMSA GT titles and four Trans Am titles in the 70s with legendary wins at Daytona and Sebring. Innovative, adaptable, 
and unflappable, Jack developed his own racing philosophy. Even though technology has replaced his detailed race observations and handwritten records, his time at track stand the test of time. Uh, here's to Jack. My hat's off to you. Long may he ignore the competition, as they've always said. Jack will be a panelist at this year's Philadelphia Concord Elegance, along with yesterday's guest, Woody Woodward, tomorrow's guest, Prescott Kelly, and past Cars yeah, guest, Hurley Haywood, to name just a few. We'll be back in just a moment to learn a lot more about Jack. Well, first, a word from our sponsors, so give them a little love. They keep the petrol in the tanks here, and we'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up, way up. But my usage was the same, and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations, and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 224 9324 and protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Did you know that Cars Yeah is in the top 1% of all podcasts based on listenership according to Lipson, the premier RSS feed for podcasts in the United States? That's right. Plus, DuPont Registry recommended Cars Yeah is one of their top 10 car podcasts for you to enjoy. Cars yeah has experienced tremendous growth, plus your ads are evergreen, meaning they never go away. And more and more listeners find Cars yeah every day for their daily dose of automotive inspiration. Do you want to expose your brand to a highly targeted list of automotive enthusiasts in a very unique and very personal way? Well, I can help you. Contact me, Mark Green, at mark at carsyeah.com or through the website at carsyeah.com today to learn more. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. So, Jack, uh, let's dive a little deeper into the corner in your career. And before we talk about your involvement with the Concorde that's coming up and so much more, how on earth, when you take go all the way back in time, did you get involved with racing and Brumos? Because I know that your history with Porsche goes even further back than that. Well, first, it's important to know that the word Brumos, those of us of a certain age understand that in the old days, you didn't pick up a cell phone and call Germany. We had to use a, a more or less like a teletype or a cable address. And mm -hmm. Brumos was contraction for Brundage Motors and was a cable address for Brundage Motors. And we became the Porsche 
importer and distributor for the southeastern United States in uh, the summer of 1959, and Mr. Brunage took the name Brumos Porsche Car Corporation. So that's how that came about. I had been working for him in Atlanta at Brundage Motors from 1955. And as part of becoming the Porsche importer, he had also moved his Volkswagen distributorship from Miami Springs to Jacksonville. And and Volkswagen had given him South Carolina to go with Florida and Georgia. And then Porsche came along and we had Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana. Oh, my gosh. So, wow. And he invited me to come to Jacksonville in 1959 and be actually, I guess, the first employee for Brumos Porsche Car Corporation. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. I was joined by Sigmund Myrlin, who was representing the factory, and he and I became close friends and traveled over the next several years appointing dealers. So that was basically my work every day business, which still wasn't a business to me. It was fun. It was always fun. But Mr. Brundage was a racer. He had raced at Sebring in the, in the very early races. He liked to do racing. He drove himself a Porsche Carrera Speedster. He decided that Brumos Porsche would race. So our first race, actually, he sent me to NASCAR in 1959, asked me just to go over there and help anybody that was running a Porsche and see if we could, if, if, uh, we could be of any assistance. And that, that gets to be a pretty long story, but eventually... We also were the Beechcraft uh, dealer in Jacksonville at that time, and Johnny Von Neumann was there, and he had a mechanic named Vashik Polak, and they had a Porsche RSK with Von Tripp's driving, and they had engine problems in practice, and we had an engine in Jacksonville, which we'd gotten out of a wrecked RSK, and we had it flown to the Bahamas and put in their car so they could race, so that's the way my Brumos racing career started. My very first race was to go to a Moody Air Force race in Valdosta, Georgia in 1950 when Curtis LeMay was uh, in charge of the Air Force and liked to have the sports cars race. So I think I go about as far back as you can go with sports car racing. Than you yeah. Oh my gosh, this is incredible. You know, uh, we had a little chat listeners uh, before we started the call here because uh, both Jack and I had were watching on Facebook uh, a post by Sean Cridlin, who's been on the show several times now and author of the wonderful book about Brumos. Uh, Sean was cruising up Pikes Peak in a GT3 RS. What a way to start the day. Uh, and you said that you and Sean became good friends because no doubt with this history, you were a key integral part of providing him information for his book research. I think so, yes. Yes, we, we did and culture together, yeah. No kidding. Wow. Well, this is so much fun. And as you move forward through your career with Brumos and the, the legacy and the iconic history, you got to work with some pretty amazing people, including Hurley Haywood, which will be on this panel on, at the Concord that you're going to be a part of. But also you were a key part of some amazing titles, IMSA GT titles, Trans Am titles. You know, yesterday I had Woody on the show and he talked about working with Mark Donahue and Penske. So now, no doubt you guys are a little bit of some rivals at the track at times. <laughs> well, I had Roger Penske as a driver in Sebring in 1961. <laughs> and uh, wow. we finished fifth overall and won the index of performance because Mr. Brundy said that was just, it, and it paid the same prize money as winning overall. Uh, but, uh, you know, and we used uh, Bob Holbert, Al Holbert's father, as uh, our other driver. 
So that that one race could be a whole story. You know, it was just in a way, and I had no idea what I was doing. It was a learn by doing situation. Sigmund had more racing experience than I did because he had come from the factory to race with the Porsches in the Pan American race in Mexico. So he'd been he, involved with Porsche lo- longer than I had. And, uh, you know, it, and we just, we, we really fit together well. And he taught me an awful lot. And that's all, that's the way you learn. You, you listen and watch and do. And, you know, it was it just all felt so natural. It, it never felt like a job. It felt like I was having a party all the time. <laughs> well, you're the definition of the cars, yeah, I guess, and that is people that wrap their passion for cars and trucks and motorcycles into what they do so that, yeah, I mean, not that it isn't hard work, but every day is something that you really love that you do. And when I introduced you, I mentioned a line uh, where we talked about your observations and your thoughts about racing. And I want to give the listeners a little quote from you and have you talk a little bit about it, the meaning behind this. And here's how it goes. We are only racing our ourselves we have to put the best car on the track every time and do the best that we can if we get beat we congratulate the winner other than that we don't pay any attention to what anyone else is doing can you elaborate on that thought process a little bit for us well i very early in my race career i noticed that people came around from other teams to see what you were doing and what was going on and i'm saying to myself from my Navy experience, you have to pay attention to what you're doing. I was an aircraft mechanic in the Navy, and uh, you know, you you had to make an aircraft put so it would be safe for the pilot, as safe as they can be. They're not ever really safe, but that's I, that was my whole learning experience for air-cooled motor, motors, the big radial engines on the Navy fighter planes, and and I just put all that together and used it when I got this opportunity to do some racing. But it doesn't work to look at what everybody else is doing. You have to pay attention to what you're doing, and you have to learn from the people you're working with. You have to teach the people you're working with, and you have to make it the best you can. And if somebody else does a better job at that, well, maybe you'll catch up the next time. Yeah. You know, that's the way you get it. Oh, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And thank you for your service. I really appreciate that, by the way. I never was. I have a great appreciation for the people that were. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a patriot. There you go. I love it. Another thing I mentioned that's unique about you is this Greek fisherman's cap. What is the story behind that? <laughs> well, I don't think there's really a story about it. I happen to be in San Francisco at a race in the pretty early 60s because we were going down to Laguna when it was still part of the um, military base. And uh, I saw this Greek fishing hat in a, in a store there. And I just said, I like that hat. And so I went in and bought one and it just became my signature thing. And I don't know if I was the first one to wear one at a race, but, you know, I know Jackie Stewart Warren and a lot of other people involved in racing, but it, I still I still wear it. Whenever the, <laughs> I have a, a good one here, and I donated one to the collection in Jacksonville, too. So, Oh, that's lovely. Uh, I love it. When you think back to all your time at Brumos and that iconic brand, are there a couple of things you could share with us that you think were the reasons for the success of that branded business? Well, in the, in the initial part of it, absolutely. It was uh, the enthusiasm of Mr. Brundage and his son, Jan, who just recently passed away, by the way. But um, they, we all 
we all loved the car and that that, that was that's that was the main thing it, and we had so many people that was during the really when Volkswagen was really getting big and we were hiring people out of General Motors and out of Ford to help us in the Volkswagen business and most of them just didn't even have a clue about the concept of being in love with the car you're selling and buying and driving and and really enjoying it you know the, whether it's the appearance of it or the technical aspect of it or whatever it is but it's just something you know for five years there straight i got a new porsche every month oh my gosh uh, i know I know you're a Porsche nut, so you can appreciate that. I got to order the model I wanted, beginning with 356As, Bs, you know, and, and I had convertible Ds and Cabriolets, and, and I never was able to convince Mr. Brundage to let me drive a Carrera, but uh, I got to drive some of them at the races, too. Uh, it, it, it just was a unique experience, and, and uh, I don't think... It's happened since. Don't think it'll happen again. I really don't. It just was being in the right place at the right time with the right people. And we just all fit together and we had a great time. Well, you touched on something that Woody mentioned yesterday and so many of my guests mentioned is surround yourself with passionate people who love what they're doing and your life will be pretty bliss because as you said earlier, you'll learn from them, you'll teach them too. Man, you can, I'm a little jealous here, Jack, getting on a 356 all the time and getting to drive it and then hand it off and get another one. I mean, you get the best of all worlds. You didn't have to pay for it. You could just enjoy it and then, okay, what's next? I, that sounds pretty cool to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's nice. Now, you're going to be a part of the panel that's going to be at this beautiful sixth annual Philadelphia Concord Elegance. It takes place at the Simeon Foundation, the Automotive Museum there. Have you been to that that museum before? No, I have not, and I'm very, very much looking forward to it. I know it's an exceptional museum. I've read about it. I've got friends. In fact, i got one very close friend who's going to go with me to help me with the driving because I don't like to fly anymore worrying about blood clots and that sort of thing. So he's been and he says it's a wonderful place and I'm I'm just looking forward to it. I think I I don't know exactly how many people will be there, but I I just have this feeling. I mean, if they're going to sell a ticket for $25 to get you in and, and See all that, you know, it's it's bound to be a successful event. And I, I love what they're doing with the, uh, being a charity event to help uh, parents with kids with uh, very special diseases. I have one granddaughter who had a, they thought she had leukemia, but it turned out to be a very rare disease. And uh, fortunately, the doctor, actually the doctor I still use here in South Carolina, diagnosed it, sent her to Charleston and got her taken care of. And she's She's now got two of my uh, great grandchildren, so oh, wow. I I, uh, I know I understand what we can do to help people like that, and oh. and I myself have uh, since I don't go racing anymore. I am very involved with the Lions Club, and I'm in charge of vision screening of the youngsters at the schools in three counties surrounding where I live here, and I just love doing that too. So. Uh, you know, you got to give back. You got to get. You got to. You, you know, just I'm just blessed. 
<laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Most definitely. And and I love the philanthropy that so many automotive people get into and uh, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and the Cool Cars Fund that is going to benefit this, uh, this event's going to benefit is absolutely spectacular. I'm so happy to hear your, uh, your granddaughter's doing well and uh, giving you grandbabies, which is <laughs> really, really great. Uh, the other thing is uh, they've kind of featured this year because it's Porsche's 75th as Porsche Delphia for Philadelphia. When you think back yeah. to the Porsche brand, I mean, this has been such a key part of your life. What are some thoughts you can share with us about this legacy of the Porsche brand? Well, my way to Porsche was actually through Volkswagen because in 1955, I had finally gotten a raise to $42 a week and I could think about a better vehicle. I'd only been riding motorcycles since then. You and I could talk about motorcycles for a while too. Wow. But <laughs> I rode them. In fact, I was riding a motorcycle when I met my wife, you know. But <laughs> anyhow, <laughs> the the Volkswagen was a car that impressed me and that's the car I ended up buying. And I, of course, naturally, I wanted one they didn't have. I wanted a black one <clears throat> with a sunroof and all that. And during the course of waiting for my car to come from my, at that time, Miami, uh, to Atlanta, where we were, I became friends with the manager of the little Brundage Motors of Atlanta at that time, which was in a service station and just getting going, the old service station. And Jack, his name was Jack Elliott, and he rode a BMW R69, which I'm sure you're familiar oh, with. Oh, yeah, cool. I think at that point in time, I was riding a, a, a BSA or an AJS. I think that at that time was, I had matched this AJS, like the 500cc single. That was my transportation. He asked me what I was doing, and I went through that. And he said, how would you like to come to work here? And at that time, I was making $42 a week, and he offered me $75 a week. Wow. Okay. <laughs> nice. The question that. That's how I came to get my job with them. And during that period of time, he happened to have a Porsche come in, and I just fell in love with it immediately. Uh, in fact, the first Volkswagen I had, the first thing I did was put a Ocrossa kit in it, which was the dual port heads and two Solex carburetors. And, sure. You know, I, I just jumped right in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is so cool. My first uh, VW was a Carmagia in high school, a 67. I put a very similar thing on that motor. I beefed it up to a, uh, I think I, we, God, we, we bored that thing out as high as we could and put dual Delardo carbs on that thing uh, back in the day. Wow. But uh, yeah, Volkswagens are a key part. I had a Scirocco when they first came out. That was my first new car and I've had many Porsches since then. So it's just one of those brands that has been a Big part of my life as well. A fun part of yours. I want to also mention uh, Philadelphia Eagles coach Dick Vermeil is the honorary chairman of the uh, Friday gala event that they're going to have. So you can buy tickets and join that. He was a guest on the show several years ago. They're going to have a silent auction and so forth. Uh, so it sounds like you are going to have some fun. And I'll tell you, uh, the late Fred Simeon, he knew how to collect old vintage race cars. You're going to walk in there and go crazy, my friend. Uh, you're going to fall in love with the cars in there. Yeah, I, 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 I'm sure of that. I just recently uh, was privileged to be on a panel at uh, the Ingram Collection in, in oh. Durham, North Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> we had our panel at uh, on a, a track day at VIR. And, you know, and I have a real history with VIR, too, because we won the very first IMSA race 
with a 914-6 GT at, at VIR in 1971. So, uh, you know, you ask me about a racetrack, I can usually tell you about it. No, well, no kidding. You've been around forever. <laughs> it's just <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, the Ingrams, you know, sadly, of course, we just lost Robert Ingram. He was a guest on the show yeah. several years ago. Mm-hmm. What a wonderful man. And, I mean, what yeah. a taste in Porsches. And his son, Cam, who's been a guest, uh, who's mm-hmm. will be running Road Scholars or is running Road Scholars. Another place that someone like you with a history with Porsche, you just it must be like walking in and seeing old cousins and family members for you. <laughs> that, that's for sure. Even in Atlanta, we had a, a customer from Chicago. His name was Frank Rand, and I'm sure he was part of that big Rand family in Chicago, although I didn't know it at the time. He had two 550 spiders, and he left one at the dealership all the time for us to keep, you know, do maintenance and work on it. That's where I got my first experience working on the really working on the four cam motor. Wow. And he was a student at Georgia Tech and I was still going to Georgia Tech at night at the same time. So that that was just part of that good time and and getting to meet people and know people and do things. And it was just really fantastic. Wow. Really well working on four cams, there's not too many people who can do that right. That's a pretty special special uh, engine for sure. You know, I I wanna ask you about and you've been around so many people. I mean, this has got to be a little bit hard to answer, but what I call driving inspirations, an influential person in your life. When you look back, you just get a warm, a rosy feeling about, man, I'm glad that person was influential in my life. Is there one person, at least for today, you can single out? Well, when I talk about getting involved with Volkswagen and Porsche, I always think of Jack Elliott because he was my first boss when I was in it. And we not only rode motorcycles together and were good friends, but he, he was a mentor, too, for the car business because I had not been in the car business up to then. But when you get on to racing, I just I think I met, knew and was involved with just about everybody. Uh, but comes to mind always. And when people ask me, well, how did you learn to build race cars and do things? I said, well, my mentor there was Carol Smith because nobody covered racing better than he did with his books, Tune to Win and Prepare to Win. Um, you know, I just lived with, I wore out two of those books <laughs> learning how to race car. So, you know, people like Peter Gregg and Hurley Haywood and Roger Penske and, and uh, Dan Gurney, and I can just name drivers forever and, and people forever too, even Woody. Even though we didn't have a close relationship, I, I raced against him every Trans Am race in 69 because I was with Peter Gregg by then, and we were running the Porsche in the small car class. Of the, and I watched, I did watch what Penske was doing then. I really did. Learned a lot from it. So, and, and we, won the, we won the under two liter class in the 69 Trans Am. Out of 12 races, we won six of them. So, you know, it was just goes on and on. I just, I can't believe that. I lived it. Every time I talk about it, I sound like I'm bragging, but it just happened. I didn't go looking. I think you need to you need to write a book. Yeah. Well, what a life. Sean wrote the book. He really did. Well, he did. You know, he, yeah. Going to be hard to beat that one for sure. A spectacular series of books, uh, four total in that grouping, uh, three big ones and one extra that he did. But um, I'm proud to say I've got those books on my shelf as well. You know, uh, I like to ask guests about a challenge that taught them an incredibly valuable lesson. No doubt there were so many in your career, especially when you're involved in racing like you were. But is there one situation, a little story you could maybe share about a huge challenge that you look back now and say, well, I'm kind of glad I went through that, even though it was pretty tough. 
Well, I have to say there were a bunch of them because in our philosophy in the later days of Brimos, when we were seriously racing, when I was with Peter Gregg and Hurley Haywood, by the way, I built Hurley's first race car, mm. the 6911S, and sent him off to driver's school in 1969. Oh, when my he God. Wow. Did his first professional race with him at uh, Watkins Glen in 1969 in that car with Peter co-driving. Wow. And I learned a good lesson in that car. We couldn't, uh, the car kept running out of gas before it was supposed to run out of gas. And I said, what's going on here? And uh, then then I, at the same time in 69, I was working on a Lola Can-Am car, T, T-165, I think it was, that Peter was driving and it was the first car I had worked with that had a surge tank and extra fuel pumps and, you know, fuel transfer types of things. And we got to looking at the fuel cell in the 911S and said, well, that's where our problem is. And of course, they had dealt with that problem in NASCAR for a long time because they were always turning left. So they just had the fuel pick up in the right side of the tank, but that didn't work in <laughs> for both sides. So, uh, uh, it, it took me till 73 to get, golly, I can't remember his name now, the ATL fuel cell guy that, that did all our fuel cells. But we finally, at, at Sebring in 73, which we also won, the only time I ever won Sebring, hardest race to win, we put a f- surge tank inside of an ATL fuel cell overnight on Friday night and tested it out, driving it from the dealership where we were working out back out to the racetrack for the race on Saturday. So that was one of the, that was just one of the instances where we were backed up against it. Um, Some of the others came from accidents or one thing or another, but we just would look at it and decide we can do this. You know, we can fix this. Uh, It doesn't matter what it was, we'd fix it. And every time something broke, I had to look for a way so it wouldn't break again. So as we went on through the years, the cars got better and better and more and more reliable. And, you know, again, it was just the progression, really, more than anything else. And I just, I loved every minute of it. <laughs> and it had some, yeah. had some excellent. Yeah. Well, Porsche has always been known for taking a lot of that racing knowledge to the streetcars that they have. And so was there a lot of collaboration between you guys and Porsche about what you were doing and things that you learned that they could elaborate or improve their streetcars with? Well, certainly. Yeah. That was our main, uh, main connection with Porsche. Uh, they supplied us the cars and the parts and the pieces, and uh, we had to we had to really do the testing and driving, particularly when we were doing the not the race real race race cars like the the 917s and that sort of thing, but the the Carrera RSRs particularly that led to the 935s. That that was a very strong collaboration with uh, Norbert Singer. He was the engineer on the RSR, and he also was basically the 935 engineer, and he did the 956. And so there, I, I feel like I had a lot of, gave the factory a lot of help with that. They certainly gave me a lot of help. They were building cars and designing them and engineering them to do certain things. And of course, naturally, we crazy Americans, we wanted to do a lot of different things with them. <laughs> and very often wasn't compatible, and it was very often in things that they weren't really accustomed to thinking about. Um, one of the things that comes to mind with my experience was that uh, <clears throat> we had a lot of problems with some uh, rod and connecting rod bearings in, in 911s in the early racing years. And I figured out that it was probably due to cavitation. 
because they had a small oil tank and they had small oil lines, but we were now turning engines 8,000, maybe 8,200 uh, that was designed to turn 6,000. Oh, okay. So you just get a whole big different picture, both for harmonics and all oh, the four cam motors and the harmonics. That was just a disaster. You know, we <laughs> yeah, I could write a, another whole book about all the mechanical problems we had with things flying apart and coming off. But that led, led me into the design and air conditionings that worked on four-cylinder cars. And that was a big problem with harmonics in the early years wow. before they had road compressors and uh yeah cavitation and harmonics which was a big thing you know with aircraft engines and i was more familiar with it than some of the other engineering parts but you know between carol smith and some others i i learned suspension and transmissions and everything else you know i'm always in we just didn't have a big crew we never had a big crew and the reason we didn't because i was selfish i wanted to do everything myself (laughs) so i did did transmissions and i had some wonderful help uh, on all of that and had a uh, mike colucci who you probably have heard of him he became an excellent mechanic working for me he started out working for us part-time up in the races in the northeast and uh, so he became my chassis guy and and i kept doing engines and i did paint and fiberglass work and everything else that got put in front of us um uh uh, oh my gosh wavy davy wavy davy kent he's the one that designed the red white and blue colors for brumos and did a lot of our early painting and taught me to do it too back in the early 70s so you know it just it goes on and on when when i was working with sean he said Basically the same question you're asking me. So I sat down and wrote a list of all the people that I had had dealings with over the years, and I ended up with 150 names on that list. Oh, my God. People that I had worked with or had worked with me, and I had learned from them. I had maybe taught them, but, uh, you know, it, it just – I don't think most people – get to experience that sort of thing. And I, I just feel like I was given some special reason to be there to do it at the, that time. And, and I just, I'm just happy, happy as I can be. <laughs> no kidding. What a life. Well, I want you to share maybe one special vehicle in your life. No doubt you've probably had a lot. You've been able to drive a lot. I mean, all those Porsches, they let you drive. Is there one car that stands out you can share a little story about? Are you you're talking about a personal car? It could now? be a personal car, or maybe it's a car that you got to jump in and take out on a track and go, "Oh my gosh, pinch me! Can't believe I'm doing this." <laughs> well, the only time I did any <clears throat> racing myself was after Peter Gregg passed away in 1980, and I was working in the Mercedes in his Mercedes dealership because, of course, there wasn't any racing at that point in time. And Bob Snodgrass was the general manager, and he loved vintage racing. So he said, I've got this uh, 356 SC here that uh, I want to make it into a race car. He said, would you help me with it? And I said, well, yeah, of course. That'd be fun. So, you know, I did little tricks like put 911S brakes on it and cross-drilled the rotors and got the rear suspension to work right. I never quite got the torsion bar suspension right, and I could never get that out of some of the guys that were making the cars under steer. I couldn't do it. But (laughs) (laughs) uh, anyhow, and when I got that car done, he said, well, why don't you race it? So I I started racing the car in vintage racing, and I had a wonderful time. I really enjoyed it a lot. But, <clears throat> you know, of course, naturally, like everything else, I got the car where it was competitive, and then everybody wanted to buy it. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and meanwhile, I had, you know, done things like make 
a lap around Daytona in a in a RSK with Roger Penske and uh, a lap around Road Atlanta with Peter Gregg in a 935. And uh, you know we we used to go t- to test. And when we went testing, we got special help from the track owners because we always would set our car up with two two racing seats and two full harnesses so that Peter could give really competitive racing and and feel safe in doing it. So I got some very good laps. It's very fast laps. I can remember going around Atlanta and I think it was the CSL BMW we raced in 77 was 76 was the only year we raced that BMW. But he took me around road Atlanta, the old road Atlanta, not the current one, and uh, lap at 1.19.6, I think, or something like that. I might be confusing that with 9.17 times because that sounds, <laughs> but <clears throat> anyhow, uh, uh, it was only a tenth off of his pole position. So, wow. uh, you know, I I know I got a good lap. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. Well, I'm a bit of a car psychologist, and I'd like to crawl into your head a little bit here. If you were reincarnated, manifest as a vehicle, what would you be and why? What would I be? Yeah. I just, I can't think of being anything more than what I've been. If, if somebody said you have to live your life over, I'd clean up around the edges, but I don't think I'd change much. Um, <laughs> well, what I mean is if you were manifest as a car, if you came back as an actual vehicle, I've got to think you'd be a Porsche of some kind, but maybe you see yourself differently. Well, it would certainly be a car, but I'm not sure uh, if you were going to put me in the, uh, Targa Florio would have to be a 908. Oh, nice. If you were going, <laughs> if you were going to put me at Le Mans, it would have to be in a 917. Same at Daytona. Uh, Sebring, you know, the 908 was too fragile for Sebring. That was it, they didn't do that well there. But the, uh, the 911 did well at Sebring because it was pretty bullet. I, you know, uh, the Can-Am cars were certainly the most ferocious, most powerful cars that I was involved with. And, uh, you know, it wasn't just the 917s because I got to work on the lows. And, you know, I'd have a hard time deciding that. But, (laughs) you know. Well, I I think you've answered the question in a unique way. And that is, I would be whatever track I'm at. Yeah. 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 Okay. (laughs) I like that. If I was on the road, it would be with Peter Gregg and a 6.9 Mercedes, you know. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. Anytime riding with Peter was an experience, whether we were on the road or not. I remember one trip where we left the airport in San Francisco going to Laguna Seca, and he got four tickets between the airport and San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, nice um, nice collection. I can see that happening, of course. You know, we talked mm-hmm. about uh, giving back, and I just wanted to remind listeners that one of the wonderful benefits of the Concours Philadelphia is cool cars for kids. Uh, it's something that they do to help families with uh, very special, difficult conditions. Wonderful uh, thing that they do there at the Children's Hospital. So I want to remind people of that. Before I let you go, I want to ask you about a great book that you perhaps have picked up and enjoyed. Um, I'm kind of guessing if I had to throw a guess here, it's probably Sean Cridlin's Brumos book. Would that be the one? Well, that's certainly one of, that's got to be the special book. No question about that. But being old enough to have been raised before there was television even. Wow. Um, I grew up reading books. I love books. Mm-hmm. Still love books. 
Um, the one thing I know for certain is that once a book is written and printed, unless somebody burns it, nobody's going to change it. So uh, your best chance to learn what things were really like is to read the books, and then you read the books about history. So I'm more into history, books like all Alastair Cook, America, mm-hmm. and I love all the O'Reilly books. I think they're really well done. And right this minute, I'm reading a book which is a science fiction novel, but the uh, author is very good, and the and the character and the the collaborator is a scientist, and it's about reality, and the the reality is what we observe, and the book is called The Observer, and I'm just just getting into that, but I'm finding it very very special. Very cool. So, I'll make sure I put uh, a list of these books on Jack's show notes page in the Carsia website. I appreciate you sharing some wonderful books with us. So another thing I'd like to do before we go is uh, enable you to go on what I call the ultimate drive. Now, you've been on many ultimate drives, but if I could park any car today in your driveway and you could take it for a run and you could take anybody with you, even somebody from the past who's no longer with us, what does the ultimate drive look like for a guy who's been on many, many, many ultimate drives? Oh, well, <laughs> well, I think it would have to be a race car on a racetrack because you can't really have an ultimate drive in a street car on the street. It just doesn't work. And you're only putting yourself in danger and other people, too. And I still like to drive fast on the street. Don't get me wrong, but I don't <laughs> I don't do it with abandon. I can't think of a better car to get on the racetrack with and like an early 90s Formula One car Mm. before they before they had all the magic they have on them now you know I watch the Formula One races and I see they're just all sitting there looking at computers I said you know this isn't real racing (laughs) and all, all of my racing career was involved with cars that were all what I call analog I was from the analog era and I never really converted to the digital era um I, the closest I came was I was a tech inspector at the Rensport in Daytona in 2004, and I, my claim to fame there was I got all the Porsche Cup cars to have the right transducers in the right place with the right numbers so they could be time and scored properly, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is something I learned from Judy Strophus. But yeah, I'd, I'd want to drive a car that was uh, like a bike, you know, the motorcycles I rode that were so fast and so good. My last uh, motorcycle was a 1985 Yamaha FJ 1200. Whoa! Just absolutely a rocket. It was just, uh, and and eventually I sold it because I was going up and down US one. I was running a Honda store in Melbourne, Florida at that time. Uh, going home at night, 100 miles an hour. Oh jeez! I'm either going to get myself put in jail or killed. I can't. I just can't do this. You know. I understand. I used to ride bikes too, and I just finally had to get off those things, especially today <laughs> with too many inattentive drivers. You know, the the F1 cars, the 90s. You know, it comes to mind. I mean, the Williams FW14B, the McLaren MP4, MP4, the Ferrari 641, the McLaren MP4, the Jordan 199, Benetton's B194, Ferrari's F399. I could go on and on. I mean, those cars, yeah, that was the time. And they sounded so good, right? Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. You have taken us on a magical ride today, Jack. I can't thank you enough for spending some time with me. Big shout out to our mutual friend, Judy Stropas, for getting us together again. Uh, you know, I talked to Judy last night and I said, you know all the coolest people. And she goes, yep, <laughs> I'm truly blessed. And she is, uh, as I am today, for getting to talk to you, my friend. Before I let you go today, could you share maybe uh, some words of inspiration or wisdom with us? Well, I guess my number one mantra would be, you can't learn anything when you're talking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love it. That's uh, that's a good one. I have a lot of those. Never mind a mule going blind, load the wagon. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I could talk with you for hours, my friend. Uh, listeners, you can learn more about the Philadelphia Concord at philadelphiaconcord.com. Uh, if you're fortunate enough to attend and you should go, uh, you can meet Jack there and all the other panelists. As you can tell, uh, Jack is somebody that could uh, tell you some amazing stories about the history of racing. And Jack, I know you're going to have an incredible time at uh, what Fred has put together there at the Simeon Museum. Uh, you're going to have a smile that will never Never leave your face while you're there. I want to thank you for being so generous today with your time and sharing your stories with us. This has been wonderful. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you at the Philadelphia Concours de Elegance. I hope so. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thank you for your time today. Oh, you're quite welcome. I hope I did all right with you. <laughs> Want to hear something crazy? Veterans work on billions of dollars of vehicles, planes, and engines while deployed, but they can't touch our car until they've obtained a certification and training requirements for employment back here at home. That's crazy. Dick Forest Foundation Military Transition Fund provides scholarships and grants so our veterans can transition to great careers following their service for this great country. Support Tech Force. Support Tech Force a charity of choice here at Cars Yeah, and its workforce development efforts for our veterans by donating at techforce.org today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to carsyeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!